just about everywhere we look around us, school is back in session, and children are off to school, and most of the colleges have started back now, and uh, everyone is hustling and bustling around. And uh, it brings fond memories to me. I was thinking back on all the years that I have taught, uh, from middle school to college, uh, and usually by this time of the school year, the first week or so, there are a few things that all my students know about me. First of all, they know that I'm a Catholic priest. It's hard to hide that. You should never hide it. The second thing is that I'm a musician and that I at one point played 10 different instruments in my life. And I still play two of them almost every day the piano and the guitar, and they also know that I'm a historian, that I have studied way too much history, and that I believe that what President Truman said was right, that the only new things in the world are the history we don't know. And the fourth thing is that I have studied way too much psychology to know that you have to have a sense of humor. And sometimes that comes out in funny ways. Uh, one of my uh, students a few years ago came to me and she was working on a probably uh, an 11th grade American history paper. And she said, uh, Father Steve, I'm doing a paper on the 60s and uh, could I just interview you? And I said to her, of course, I just love the Civil War. What do you want to know? <laughs> she got this blank look on her face. Said, oh, you mean the 1960s? I thought you meant the 1860s. But as I tell all of my students that I lived through, I'm a child of the 60s. I was there. You know, even though the old expression is, if you say you remember the 60s, you were not there. I still remember. And I've got to tell you that the 60s were not unique. The 1860s with the Civil War, they were not unique either. They were intense, but not unique. There's a thread that goes through all of history. All, as long as there are people involved, they're all broken people, just like we are. This is a broken world. It has been from the beginning since the enemy got cast down to earth by St. Michael and started meddling in human affairs, tempting and trying to distract God's precious people. And so things happen that lead us away from the straight and narrow path that God sets for us, before us. And we have within us a deep, hunger, and thirst that only Jesus can quench. We try to, to quench that insatiable thirst for more. We desperately want to know purpose for our lives and meaning and why we are here and what it's all about. We are desperate to know those things. And we search throughout the whole world to try to find answers to that thirst, and we can't find it. In the 1960s, there were all sorts of experimental things going on. God saved me from those. He took a lot of my friends from me. 
One of the many songs that I still remember to this day, and I remember all of them just about, uh, that sort of, sort of is an anthem for the 60s and for also every generation was a song that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger wrote that was the first big hit for the Rolling Stones in 1963 called Satisfaction. Where Mick Jagger, he's still alive, did you know that? He's 730 years old. And I've got to say this, and Father Mario was there with him. <laughs> Rolling Stones, only one of them has died, the drummer Charlie Watt. But the song said, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, 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 but I can't get no satisfaction. If ever there were an anthem for humanity, that's it. We try, and we try, and we try. And unless we go to the one who can quench our insatiable thirst, it's not going to get quenched. I have spent decades of my life uh, working and talking with, with men primarily who are trying to stay sober or clean. And they have tried everything and nothing works until they try Jesus. Now that's why the 12-step program was invented in the 1930s by Bill W. and Dr. Bob. To, to put Jesus into the midst of it. Their whole purpose was to make Jesus Christ the answer. And when they started with the first step saying that we, our lives are unmanageable and we admit that we're powerless, but the second step, but there is a power greater than us, that if we turn to Him, He will restore us to sanity. That power has got a name. His name is Jesus. Well, they've taken the name of Jesus out of it, but the, the principle still holds true. Those who want answers and want the waters that will quench their thirst have got to turn to the Lord. They've got to do that. And that is right before us today in our psalm, Psalm 63. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. I am thirsty for you, O Lord. These words are written by King David. We happen to know a whole lot about this psalm because the Hebrew has a caption over it that said, this was when David... King David, was in the wilderness of Judea. The Judean wilderness. That's sort of where we wind up when we turn our eyes off the Lord and look for other things to fill us. Uh, in the 1960s, for example, we came up with what's called the, uh, the 27 Club. Not many people know what the 27 Club is. Uh, when you Google it, you get a, a modern rap band. That's not it. The 27 Club was some of our heroes in the 1960s who died at the age of 27, tragically. And actually, there have been a lot of others at age 27 who've perished looking for answers in the ways of the world. We're talking about the Rolling Stones. Brian Jones died at the age of 27 in the 60s. Jimi Hendrix died at the age of 27. Janis Joplin died at the age of 27. Jim Morrison of the Doors died at the age of 27. And now they've added Amy Winehouse to it, who died much more recently at the age of 27. Nothing satisfies the yearning in us. 
David proves it to us when he starts out this psalm. Now, a little background to this is, is helpful. David, at this point in Psalm 63, was running for his life from his son Absalom, who was out to kill David, his father, and make himself king. There were those in Israel who wanted Absalom to be their king. And David's entire history of his relationships was catastrophic. And we know about it. We know that he wound up with eight wives, 19 sons that we know of, no telling how many daughters, but we know that very early his daughter Tamar was raped by David's oldest son, Amnon, who lusted after her and took her. And when David found out that his oldest son has raped his daughter, David did nothing. Nothing. Which infuriated the third son, Absalom, who killed him. So there's murder going on in David's family. And we know that even though he had all these wives and others, women that were involved with him, that he still lusted after Bathsheba, who was married to one of David's soldiers. Lusted so much that he took her for his own. And when the prophet Nathan called David on it and said, you have sinned grievously, grievously against the Lord in doing this, David. And David repented, said, I'm, I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. And Nathan said, because of that, you will not lose your life. But the child you've conceived with Bathsheba will die. And so the baby died. Well, Bathsheba wound up having another child by the name of Solomon. She had three others after that with David. Solomon. And as Solomon grew, David and Bathsheba made it clear that it was Solomon who was going to take his place. Not the number two son, Adonijah. And so, this turmoil consisted and continued in David's family. And he was running for his life against Absalom. And Absalom, as David's men trapped Absalom, he was riding away on a donkey and his hair got caught in a branch and he was hanging and he was put to death. And we know that David grieved horribly over his son Absalom's death. Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. David is fleeing for his life here from Absalom and he's in the wilderness of Judea, which is a barren, hot, scorching, dry place. And while he is fleeing for his life, he writes, my soul thirsts, my soul thirsts for you, O God. David was counting on his many relationships to, to fill that thirst in him. No, only God could fill that. And so this Judean wilderness says, I've been there twice. The last time we were there leading a tour in 2001, 
The Judean wilderness is right around the Dead Sea, and it's barren. And while we were there in August of 2001, two weeks before 9-11 happened here in the U.S., it got up to 116 degrees. Our tour guides told us, you must drink water all the time. So we kept bottles of water. You drank them. You never let go of the bottle. You drank it, and when it was finished, you got another one. Had to. If you get dehydrated enough, your, your organs start to shut down. We know how catastrophic that is because it happens every summer when football teams start doing two-a-days. And we see what happens to young men and women, both. They don't drink enough water. When I was the, pre the president of John the 23rd High School, we had to be extraordinarily careful when students were outside because we were always getting students who would pass out from heat exhaustion. One, one junior, I think he was, said, well, well Father Steve, I don't, I don't understand. I, I had a glass of water this morning. Oh, really? And it's, it's now 5 o'clock? You haven't had any more water? You should have had eight glasses of water by now. If you wait to drink until you're thirsty, it's too late. We have to have it to live. And yet we still try to fill that emptiness within us with the things of this world. David in the psalm says, Lord, only in you. My soul clings to you, Lord. My soul clings to you. The Lord delivered David from that. Absalom wound up being you know, killed on the battlefield. And as Adonijah was getting ready to ascend to be king when David got old, Solomon had Adonijah put to death. Is there any wonder why Solomon's lineage was the last one in the United Kingdom of Israel? It splintered. And it happens when we take our eyes off the one who gives us the nourishment that we need. We have a thirst, all of us, all humanity, that only Jesus can quench. Which is why Jesus, in John chapter 7, in the middle of the temple in Jerusalem, says, Come unto me, all you who are thirsty, and drink from me, believe in me, and be filled with the living water that wells up within you to eternity. It's why Jesus in John chapter 4 tells a Samaritan woman at the well, if you only knew who was here with you, you would ask Him and He would give you life-giving water and you would never thirst again. It's why Jesus in our Gospel today says that we must forsake everything except Him if we look to be rich in this world, we're missing the point. We give our lives to Him and let Him lead us through. Jesus said that you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Me. And He will give us the very best that He has. Today, you're here and you are receiving and will continue to receive the very best that the Lord has for you. He quenches the thirst that's within you, the thirst for more, 
the thirst for what is my purpose, what is my meaning, why am I here? He is our purpose. He is why we're here. He gives us meaning in our lives. And He fills us with not only life-giving water, which is another way the Holy Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes within us. We come here to His table. We pass the waters of baptism. The life-giving waters. We come to His table. He gives us His body and blood, His soul and divinity. He gives us the very best that He has that comes into us. Quenching our thirst. Quenching the hunger. Giving us purpose and meaning for our lives. And then, the best thing of all is He comes into us. And as we leave here, we carry Him with us so that we can share the good news that there is an answer for the thirst that people are feeling. There is an answer for this insatiable hunger for more. There is a higher power that can deliver us from the insanity of the world and that higher power has a name and His name is Jesus. The name that is above every name. The one who's sitting right with you today. The one who walked through the door with you when you came here. The one who will walk out with you today and will never leave you or forsake you. The one who is the, the way to quench this thirst that's deep within us. And know that He will never leave you. He's with you forever. And as I tell my students all the time, you can't get rid of Him. And He's never going to leave. So since He's there with you anyway, learn to talk to Him. Learn to trust in Him. Learn to let Him lead you. Because He's always going to be there with you. And He is the one who knows our way home.